You can be seated. As Pastor Johnny said, this evening is going to be different than normal. Uh, sorry about that. I'm blocking your drink. Um, after church today, Jonathan, Mickey, talked to me for a little bit about preaching and the responsibilities and what we're supposed to do, and that led to a conversation between Ken and I in the van on the way home, and um, I've just been kind of wrestling through this today, and I've, I've come up with an analogy that has helped me a little bit today think through what my job is as a preacher, and I've compared it a little bit to the role of a museum. And when a museum opens up, their goal, the reason they're there is because they want to show you something spectacular, right? The reason a museum's there is because they have something worth showing, and they, they wouldn't be there if there wasn't something worth showing. And so that's the real heart behind a museum, but a museum owner has a second job as well. He not only wants to show people the beauty of what he has to display, he also has to protect what he has to display, right? Nobody goes into museum work because they just want to be protectors. They want to be displayers. But sometimes they have to recognize that there are people who will want to put things into the museum that could be harmful to the things already there or things that just don't belong. That's what I view myself as doing tonight. What my passion is, what I love to talk about, is what we just sang about. The reason the church exists is to talk about Christ and in Christ alone. But there are ideas that are prominent in our society that are dangerous to the gospel, and they don't belong in Christian thinking. So tonight, what I would like to do is talk a little bit about an idea, the transgender bathroom issue, that I believe is dangerous to the gospel, is dangerous to the message that we love. Believe me, my passion is not talking about the things that are dangerous. My passion is talking about Christ and in Christ alone. But this is important, and I hope that you'll find it helpful. So, uh, what I'll be doing is just walking through these slides. It's going to feel probably less like a normal sermon and more uh, of an explanation of what's going on. As you can see, here is a sign for all gender restrooms, and this has become a big issue. We're going to walk through kind of what has happened to bring that to become a big issue. But before we even get there, there's a lot of terminology that we have to work through. It's hard to understand what the issue is, if we can't work in language that's being used to discuss it. So I just want to walk through language that you may have thought you've known, but now it's being used in a completely different way, and some language that maybe you've never heard of before that's really important to understanding this discussion. Before we do that, if you don't mind, I'd like to stop and pray that God will bring clarity and, and good thinking as we're here. So dear Lord, I pray that as we walk through this issue of uh, the transgender question and transgender bathrooms. I pray for several things. One, I pray for me as a speaker that you'll provide clarity. Um, there will be times in this that I will share my opinion, but I pray that my opinion will be less and that your facts of the, your uh, gospel will be preeminent. I pray that you will give uh, everyone here discernment to know what is your mind and your will, and so that we can live our lives thinking and living in a way that glorifies you. I pray for anyone here who has been touched by this issue, whether um, there's people here that are struggling with their gender identities or people who are related or friends at work. I pray that you will use tonight to equip us um, to understand what's going on and how to handle that. Uh, above all, I pray that you will be glorified tonight. In your name I pray, amen. amen. All right, let's start by working through some language issues. The first thing I want to bring up is the question of what is the difference between the word sex and the word gender, right? The word sex and gender. This is a thing that typically we think of these as synonyms, right? So when June was born a couple of weeks ago, the doctor may have asked me what the sex of the baby was or what the gender of the baby was, and either way I would have given them the same answer. But when we're talking about transgender issues, these are not the same, right? Transgender defines these two words. This, in this issue, these two words as different ideas. Sex refers to the biological makeup of a person, 
right? So if a person, we're talking about your reproductive systems, right? Boy parts and girl parts and chromosomes. If you have XX DNA versus XY DNA, we're talking about whether or not uh, men have higher risks of uh, heart disease and women have, right, breast cancer and men have prostate We have a whole different physiological makeup, and all of that is related to our sex. Gender is related to the topic of more of masculinity and femininity. These stereotypes or the social constructs in which we understand what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a man. Um, We think in these terms, too. I, I pointed this out on Wednesday night to the youth. Flippantly and jokingly, we often say things like, real men drive Chevys, not Fords, or, you know, real men hunt and wimpy men bake or whatever. It, these things that we talk about, real men, it's like these are our symbols of what, mas- what is masculine, right? And so these are the kind of things we're saying. These are what define a gender, these ideas of masculinity versus ideas of femininity. So just to show you, I'm not making stuff up. This is just simply quotes from people that I would consider cultural authorities, right? The American Psychological Association said gender is cultural. It's the term to use when referring to women and men as social groups. Sex is biological. Use it when the biological distinction is preeminent. Uh, The other is the World Health Organization. Sex refers to the biological and physiological characteristics that define men and women. Gender refers to the socially constructed roles, behaviors, and activities and attributes that a given society considers appropriate for men and women. So let me talk about the next two major terms that um, you may or may not be familiar with. That is cisgender and transgender. Right? Cis and trans are Latin prefixes. They, it, cis roughly means the same, and trans roughly means other. Right? So if I am um, a transformer, right? I, I go from one form and I become another form, a transform. If I go transatlantic, I'm on one side of the Atlantic, and I go to the other side of the Atlantic. That trans is other. And the way this works is if I have a sex that's male and I identify as a male, then I'm the same. Same sex, same gender. That means you would be considered cisgender. If you identify, if you are biologically a male, but you identify with the stereotypes that our culture gives females, then you are transgender. You are one, but you identify with the other. So transgender is simply people who feel that their gender does not match their sex. They feel that the the way that they express themselves and feel in society isn't the same as what their biological makeup is. All right? So let's let's work through some more here. Uh, What are my next two terms? Oh, my next term is gender reassignment surgery. So gender reassignment surgery is probably better described as a sex change or a sex reassignment. What a gender, it's important to know that a person can be transgender and not transsexual. They can be transgender and not go through a sex change operation, right? Because what transgender means is that I, though I am biologically male, I identify with a female, or though I'm biologically a female, I identify with a male. If I have a reassignment surgery, a sexual reassignment surgery or sex change, what that means is I've tried to do something medically, whether it be, or, or just physically, whether it be growing my hair different or wearing different clothes would be the smallest level of this, or larger, taking hormones um, and, and even having surgeries that will make my biology more closely align with how I feel inside. Does that make sense? So this is what um, famously, recently, Bruce Jenner has become Caitlyn Jenner, right? And so what Bruce Jenner felt inside is that he identified with the female stereotypes, But he said, my body doesn't look like that. So he went through a sex change. He went through a gender reassignment surgery so that his body more closely aligned with his feelings, with how he felt that he identified. 
Now, it's important to point out that though he has moved in a way that he started changing, it's impossible, medically speaking, to actually go through a, a real, what we would consider a real sexual change. Because sex isn't merely the shape of our bodies or the parts of our bodies, but every single cell in our body is marked with DNA. That, so on every single cell I have is a male cell or a female cell as determined by my DNA. And so when people go through these changes, what they're changing is, as an analogy, it would be more like the makeup, right? But they're not actually changing what's under the hood. It's still what it is. It just looks different on the outside. Does that make sense? This is an important issue. Let's go to the the next slide. There's two more terms that you may not be uh, completely familiar with. Some of you may be gender fluidity and gender nonconformity. Gender fluidity recognizes that because gender is something I feel, there's nothing that says I have to feel the same way every day, right? There's nothing that says that I have to feel, just because I feel male today doesn't mean that I have to feel the same way if I'm in a different social setting, right? So if I'm around a bunch of guys and they're out hunting and doing whatever guys do and I don't really identify with these guys, I might feel really feminine that day. But the next day I might go out with a bunch of people that are baking and sewing and I'm like, I don't identify with this either. So today I feel really masculine and I'm really fluid. I'm recognizing that I'm identifying with different parts of this social structure that people define as masculine and feminine. And there's not, I'm not fully male or fully female. I'm identify with some masculine things and some feminine things, and it's more intensely on different days, so I'm fluid. This is really a big issue because in a little bit we're going to talk about what this means for bathroom use, right? And what this means for bathroom use is that I de- determine my identity really every single minute of the day. I'm identifying, am I right now a male gender or am I right now a female gender? Now, there's a whole other group that's called gender nonconformists, and they've become, they've gotten a good deal of press recently as people who recognize this has gotten crazy, but we're going to take it where I think is, this is my opinion, I think it's even crazier. Because what they've said is, okay, gender is purely a social construct, but there's nothing that says we need to work in this social construct. In fact, it's inappropriate, they believe, for you and I to put on them the ideas of masculinity and femininity. They can be whatever they want to be, regardless of what our society says. To display this, um, many groups have led to using all new pronouns, right? And so this is where uh, the University of Tennessee has come out with this. was in the news not long ago with Tennessee. Facebook, I think, I think Facebook has something like 70 pronouns you can use don't quote that number, but it's, it's a really large number of pronouns. Popular ones have been uh, Z, Zim, and Zer. So it's like him and her, but it's with the letter Z in the front. Another really popular one became Tractor. NPR ran an article about somebody that was, say, I'm so far off the grid, I identify as a tractor. And that actually became somebody that says, when you refer to me, you can't call me him or he or she. or You need to call me a tractor. And it was an act of protest to say that I don't identify with any gender whatsoever. This, like I said, I think that we're way outside the bounds of reason here. But actually, to be fair, they are recognizing once we say that there's nothing to gender, they're saying, why can't I make up anything I want at any given time? And so they said, I don't want to be identified with the rules and structures that our society has, and I'm going to make a whole new set of rules to play by. And that's what these new gender pronouns are. They're their attempt to say, I'm making up a new set of rules here. I'm neither male or female. I'm tractor. So all of this is really important information to think through when we're talking about who can use what bathroom. Right, Because that's where this debate is coming. Who can go to what bathroom? Who can go to what locker room? There's one more really important term that we need to think through. And this is less of a term as a law. Uh, the next slide is about Title IX. Are you familiar with Title IX? 
This is part of the education bill in 1972. It was signed under Richard Nixon. And the, the bill had several different titles. Title IX was just one part of this education bill. But it says, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance, right? And so this has been an issue since the 70s. And a lot of you probably remember times where you were wrestling with, can girls play on the boys' football team or boys' on girls' soccer team, right? And then uh, didn't Rodney Dangerfield have a movie where the boy played on the girls' soccer team? And I don't know if you should know Rodney Dangerfield movies, but this has been an issue for a long time that we're wondering how should men and women relate when it comes to sports because we've recognized for a long time that though we're not trying to discriminate, there are some real differences here. That for the most part, that a woman on a men's football team could lead to dangerous situations, right? Because of the level of contact, physical abuse, all sorts of things that our society has wrestled with how to apply Title IX. This has become... A, a new way that we're wrestling with it now with this new idea of what does gender mean? What does gender mean? And we're going to get to this. Title IX has uh, been redefined now to not only talk about sex but gender. But hold on, let me talk to you about the timeline so you can know how we got to where we are right now. So, on, and I'll be honest, this started before February 22nd, but it really hit the media, and we are where we are today. The first real big move was done by the Charlotte City Council, February 22nd in 2016. The Charlotte City Council voted 7-4 to four to pass a non-discrimination ordinance. And this ordinance required all businesses and government agencies, anything, anyone in Charlotte had to provide uh, access to the b- bathroom of their choice for all people, regardless of sex. So what this meant is if you're in Charlotte and you want to open up a hair salon and you have a girl's bathroom and a boy's bathroom, a boy can, go, can walk in and say, I can go to any bathroom I want. You can't restrict it anymore in Charlotte. And that applied to businesses and to, when I'm using the word public here, I don't mean open to the public. I mean run by the public. So state run, city run, um, like things like schools. So Charlotte applied this to every single business and state entity, local entity, in the city of Charlotte. About a month later, I think it was March 23rd, the next slide, the North Carolina uh, General Assembly, which is the whole state of North Carolina, said, "Uh uh-uh, not so fast. And they passed a law that has become known as HB2. And this is the law that you're probably seeing all over Facebook, all over the news media. It has become a firestorm. But what this law basically said is that all government agencies or all public agencies, right? So this isn't referring to no longer are they telling businesses what they need to do. But public agencies are required to provide single-sex, multi-occupancy bathrooms and locker rooms as well. We're focusing on bathrooms because that's just what we're focusing on. But they said if you are a school or if you are a courthouse or if you are a a government-owned agency, you have to have a women's bathroom that only women can go to and a men's bathroom that only men can go to and will determine whether a person is male or female based on their birth certificate. Right now, they did say... uh, if you, if you go through the changes, the kind of changes that uh, Bruce Jenner, when he became Caitlyn Jenner, if you go through those kind of changes, you can apply to have your birth certificate changed. And I think the federal government will allow that. But they said if you're going to go through it, you've got to commit, right? You have to go all the way through having your birth certificate changed in order to use a bathroom that does not match with the bi- biology assigned to you uh, at birth, And so uh, this did not apply to local businesses. So if you were a business, you're free to still make your own choices on this. But if you're a government agency, you had to provide a single-sex multi-occupancy. Now, you could also provide 
other choices, like family bathrooms, where you could have a mom and a kid or, or, or whatever. You can, it, it's not only single-sex multi-occupancy, but at least single-sex multi-occupancy bathrooms. Um, and that started a firestorm. So the next slide walks through some of the responses we, we saw. The very first one was PayPal. Uh, they had a, a pretty big contract. I think it was about $500 million contract where they were going to open a new business in North Carolina. I think it was, I think it was Charlotte they were going to open it up, and they said, we're out of here. We're not doing that. And so they shut, they just basically shut down the plans to expand. Uh, after that, Several musicians, Bruce Springsteen, Ringo Starr, uh, Cirque, I have the worst time saying this, I think it's Cirque de, de Soleil, or however you say that, but it's a circus. They all said, we're not going to North Carolina in an attempt to basically boycott the state because of their bathroom ordinance. Uh, I thought the next one was, personally, again, this is my opinion, so I'm going to try to do my best to let you know when I'm doing opinion and not... Uh, just out there fact, I think personally, one of the most troubling for me was that governments got involved. Mayors of different cities, uh, as well as the governor of, North, of New York, banned all public travel, all travel by publicly paid employees. So that if I worked for the state of New York, I was not allowed to even go to North Carolina under some sort of disciplinary action from the governor himself. And I don't know what his disciplinary action was, but that was their way of protesting what was happening in North Carolina. Uh, I personally thought that was, to me, that was, that was the most crazy. Uh, the next one actually became the most crazy. It became the one that was uh, probably most talked about on Facebook, and this is where we talked about this on Wednesday night because people and youth groups said, what's going on with Target? Because Target came online and publicly said, we are going to allow open bathroom access regardless of the sex listed on your birth certificate. So the fact that they said listed on your birth certificate, clearly this is a protest against HB2. And they said, if you want to go to Target and use the bathroom of your choice, you're welcome to do so. So if men want to go into the women's bathroom at Target, they're free to do so. And if women want to go into the men's bathroom at Target, they are free to do so. And that is really when uh, at least my Facebook feed goes crazy, right? Uh, I feel like it's a little bit ironic because this was actually legal within HB2. Right? HB2 just said public agencies did not have the right to decide their bathroom policies, but businesses did. Target had, according to the North Carolina law, Target has a right to do whatever they want with their bathrooms. And so their um, rebellion, I guess, against HB2 was technically legal. But obviously, we're talking about more than the law. We're talking about public comments and public sentiment going on. And it became a, uh, a bit of a firestorm over Target. That was... For a while, the most shocking, the most recent shocking thing on our next slide is a letter that was sent on May 13th, so not Friday, but two Fridays ago, from President Obama. It was an open letter, so it's written to all schools in the whole country. And the, schools, the letter says, and I'll read this to you, that the departments of ED and DOJ, uh, that's the Department of Education and the Department of Justice, treat a student's gender identity as the student's sex for purposes of Title IX and its implementing regulations. In other words, if a biologically male or biologically female student identifies as the opposite sex, then for almost all, public, all purposes, public schools and colleges must treat them as such. Now, it's important to point out that this, law, this letter is not a law, right? And so this is what a lot of people said, well, this isn't a law, but that's because the Department of Education and the Department of Justice aren't um, con congressional law type of departments. What they are is they're, they're um, part of the executive branch, which is able to enforce executive prerogatives kind of outside of the law. And so what they're saying is, though this isn't a law, they are still saying, if you choose 
as a school, as, as Baker County School District, not to allow boys to go into girls' locker rooms, then the federal government will withhold your funding that has, you've begun to rely on as part of what you use to run your school. Right? And so, though it's not the law, you can still be sued for uh, discrimination, and you can still be denied federal funding for your school districts. And so that is where we currently are as of May the 13th. Since that time, and this isn't in our slides, you've had several school districts say, amen, we're right on board with President Obama, and we are open bathrooms. And you've had other school districts that say, fine, we'll lose all of our funding, and we are still not letting boys and girls in the same locker rooms and bathrooms. That's our timeline. That's where we are. That's the world that we're living in. And so what I want to talk about for the rest of the time is how should we think about this? How should we think about the transgender issue? And I want to start with, what's the motivation? What is it that led us to uh, the point that we are, this, this point in the timeline. And there's really, if you, if you read articles from this pro-transgender, open bathroom, gender-neutral bathroom crowd, you'll read one of three motivations. Um, and maybe more, but these are the three primary ones. The first one is people will cite violence against transgender people. This is actually what President Obama has said about his reasoning for applying gender to Title IX as opposed to sex. He says, the reason that I want to allow um, boys who identify as girls into girls' bathrooms or girls who identify as boys into boys' bathrooms is because he recognizes something that is actually true when, by and large, students who struggle with their sexual identity are often persecuted in schools in a way that other students aren't. So this is true Uh, It's not just true for transgender students, it's been true for homosexual students for a long time, that they have often been treated very, very cruelly by their peers. And I think President Obama says he recognizes that, and he's trying to lessen that mistreatment by just opening the bathroom up. Go to whichever bathroom you want to. Um, Many people cite that as their reasoning. I think that while I don't agree with opening bathrooms, and I'll explain that later, I do agree with the sentiment that President Obama is saying is that we should care about students who are being hurt, um, derided, and, and made to feel like they are less than image bearers of God, even though they're making choices that we don't agree with. And so I, I do appreciate the heart that would be behind this first point. I will say, though, that sometimes people will claim this as their motivation, and I don't think that's the whole story. And I'll give you the next example, uh, is that people say it's not just not wanting violence, it's wanting to be told that my choice is legitimate. And we know that this is part of the case. Each of these, I put a little news article here just because I wanted you to know I'm not making this stuff up. Right, And so I don't care that you go look them up. If you want to, you can. But this news article was on the Huffington Post, Huffington Post News site, and it was about a lawsuit that happened. It, it seems confusing. There was a girl named Nicole Maines, and she was a student in the state of Maine. Uh, she was, let's see, she was a, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I have the, the order right in my mind. She was born a boy, biological boy, but her and her family decided that she identified with a female, so they changed her name to Nicole, and so she was self-identifying as a female, and this began sometime, they said it began while she was in elementary school, but continued through middle school and high school. They wanted her treated as a female. The state of Maine, the school district she was in, said, we don't want her to be mistreated because she's dressed up like a girl in a boy's bathroom, but nor do we want boys in girls' bathrooms. So what they did is actually gave her her own bathroom. There was a uh, bathroom that was supposed to be a faculty bathroom. They just marked it off and said there's several faculty bathrooms. She can have this bathroom. It's her own bathroom. Nobody else can go in it. And so I thought a pretty remarkable show, a gesture, they gave her her own or him his or her own bathroom. Um, she was unsatisfied and sued the state of Maine because she said that it's not just safety, it's legitimacy. When she declares that she's a female and the school does not say you are a female, they are saying that her self-identity is wrong. 
And she sued them as discriminating against her. And she won in the state of Maine. And so what this shows me is that it's not purely a safety issue in many people's minds. This really is a legitimacy issue. People want to be told that regardless of their choice, that who are you or I to say that choice is wrong? In fact, we need to say you are right in your choice. If you choose as a man to go into a girl's bathroom, we affirm you. If you don't, then according to this, many people, you are discriminating, you are being hateful, and that's really the position of Nicole Maines and the courts in the state of Maine. Um, there's another, and I think more prominent than, than people realize, another motivation, and this I think is, is very prominent, is there's a lot of people who want the elimination of social norms and stereotypes altogether. Um, there was an article that I read that's called We Will Win the Bathroom Battle When the Gender Binary Burns. And what they're basically saying is that our goal isn't only to have men in women's bathrooms and women in men's bathrooms. We want to get rid of the idea altogether that there's such a thing as men and women, masculinity and femininity. The reason is because they recognize that social norms are people's expectations on them. And they say, no one has a right to put their expectations on me. I define my life, right? This is, just so you know, I don't think it's just a few little people that think this way. Uh, in 2015, before this gender-neutral gender bathroom issue came out, Target uh, had a lot of press because they started removing gender identity signs from their different sections. So instead of going to a girl's bedding or boy's bedding, there's just bedding sections now. Instead of girl's toys and boy's toys, there's just toys now. Because Target said, who are we to say that girls shouldn't play with guns and boys shouldn't play with Barbies? And so they've gotten rid of any idea of gender as a part of what's going on in the way you shop. And the whole idea here is who are you and I? Who is society to tell a person how they should live? This is uh, completely a non-gender issue. This is a mentality that is pr prominent in our world. This was a quote I saw John Piper listed this as one of the, he says, most dangerous quotes ever issued in a Supreme Court ruling. And he cited a 1992 sentence by Justice Anthony Kennedy. The sentence says, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. And so the point that Justice, uh, Roberts, or Justice Kennedy here is trying to make is that freedom, in his mind, is the complete independence of any sort of social expectation or social judgment that we would ever put on a person that's living in society with us. That each person is... It, I, I think that this fits really well with judges, that each person has become a law unto himself. Right? Each person is doing what is right in their own eyes. And that is the world that many people want us to live in. So that is my attempt to give you not any bias, hopefully, at this point of right or wrong, but just to explain this is the world we're living in. These are the motivations quoted by the people themselves, not me trying to guess their motivations. This is, this is what's going on. What I'd like to do now is shift and tell you three reasons why people are objecting to this. And I'm not telling you even just three reasons why I object. I want to first start off with just here's three big objections we're going to have to deal with. One of the major ones that you'll see on the Internet and online, people are upset with this law because it poses a political problem. Uh, the political problem, uh, as a sentence I just said, it, there's a breakdown of the principles of federalism. It gives the government increasing degrees of power, and it threatens the freedom of citizens. Uh, federalism, in case you're not familiar with the term, that's the, basically the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, that the federal government doesn't have a right to implement laws that aren't expressly stated in the Constitution, that those, those laws, such as marriage, um, education, and those things are the, are the realm of the state governments, right? And so when the, the Department of Education or Department of Justice tells states how to run their schools, the people feel like, hey, this is just not the way that the American government was set up to run. Uh, 
so this is one, it, this one area of the big debate. How come the federal government is regulating school bathrooms? Right? And I think on, a, on a, even back that up another level is why are governments at all telling businesses who, who they need to let go to which bathroom? And this is the same idea that people have argued, too, over um, who can bake a cake and, and, and these issues with other homosexual marriage and things of similar types of debates. Uh, I, I will just let you know at this point my opinion, right? So I'm going to step out of any neutrality or biblical authority and tell you I personally agree with the Tenth Amendment, right? I think that we want to limit the power of our government to protect our own liberties here. And so I think that it is important for us to consider that when we vote. Uh, I also think, however, that this is not the level where we see a, a direct attack on Christianity. And here's what I mean by that. Christianity thrived under one of the most oppressive governments in the history of the world. Right? When the Bible was being written, there was an emperor named Nero who was using Christians as torches. He was burning them alive to light his dinner parties. And so, I, though I am not happy with what I believe is uh, the overreach of the government, the federal government becoming too strong, that this is what I believe is a, a political issue. I believe the spiritual issues are something other than this government thing. I think it's going to go deeper here. That said, when I vote, I'm going to vote for somebody who wants to limit the power of the government, not increase it. But that's personal opinion. You don't have to agree with me on that. Uh, let me tell you the second major part of the debate, uh, the, the frustration with these laws. That's a social problem. Many people recognize that we have certain boundaries, uh, barriers in our society that prevent us from being as bad as we might be, right? That they promote a sort of nobility and healthiness and protection in our society. That's, for instance, why we have ratings on our movies. Why is it that you, if you're under 17, you're not supposed to go to a rated R movie? Because we believe that there's things shown in these movies that are actually harmful to society, and so we're trying to limit people from accessing those things in order to protect the good of our society. This has become extremely apparent with the issue of pornography, right? There has been overwhelming evidence that exposure to pornography at young ages especially has a very high correlation to later acts of violence toward women and to unfaithfulness and breakdowns of marriage. So in other words... Well, I think it's 100% of men who have been convicted of rape crimes also have a background of exposure to pornography, right? So if you are a rapist, you are almost certainly also a pornographer. And so limiting pornography, we believe, correlates to limiting sexual assault, right? And the, the, the later you get access to pornography, the, the better society will be for it. Right? So this is ex being expanded to the idea if we let, at young ages, boys and girls into the same bathroom. Right? So after gym class, seventh grade, everybody goes into the lockers to shower before they get ready for their next class. I, I go back to, I, I don't know what Baker County showers are like, but for ours, everybody's open there. And we believe the fact that boys aren't seeing girls and girls aren't seeing boys puts up a healthy barrier in my mind that says girls are off limits to me and boys are off limits to until later when we're married. But this is not something that I'm supposed to be seeing. It's not supposed, something I'm supposed to be interacting with. When we break down that barrier at young ages, we expect to see higher rates of abuse later in life. Right? There's also people who have just said... Even more simply than that, if anybody can go into any bathroom, there's people right now who have bad motives and can say, you can't stop me, right? If right now, you can't tell me not to go into a girl's bathroom, then I can't be charged with anything until I actually commit the crime. And people are saying, let's just forget long-term social issues. Let's just talk about immediate barriers or immediate 
buffers that help keep predators out of women's bathrooms. So those are the, that's the social problem. Uh, I think that we have to wrestle with, especially as a church, an issue that I think is even deeper and even uh, scarier, and that's that there's a spiritual problem, that if we allow genderless societies, then we are breaking and distorting one of the major pictures that God has given us to know who he is, who he is and what he's like. Let me walk you through this spiritual problem argument. And this is one that I, I'm going to try to stick to this out of just my opinion. I'm going to walk you through some biblical text to show you that we're talking about something spiritually important here. The first, the first verse I want to show you is Genesis 1.27. And I want to point out that our gender is designed by God to reflect him. If you look at Genesis 1.27, it's up on the screen. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, God created them. And this verse teaches us that God is the creator of gender, right? And so you say, well, how do I know that God's not just the creator of sex? How do I know God's not just the creator of my biology, but gender's all social? Well, because male and female is part of the image of God. But God's image who God is, isn't physical. God says he's a spirit, right? God is spiritual. He's not. God doesn't have XY chromosomes. God doesn't have male parts and female parts. God's a spirit. The thing that reflects the image of God is not our biology, but our masculinity and femininity. Now, both of these together, in complement to each other, reflect the nature of God. It's our gender that reflects who God is. And what that teaches us is that God designed us, male and female, so that we could see something about who he is, how he relates to himself, right, the, the three people of God, the three persons, but also how he relates to us. Gender is part of how we understand that and know that. The problem is we can distort gender and then mess up our ability to understand how it reflects God. And for this, I want you to look with me at Romans. I'm going to read a long section here. I know it's really long, but I think it's really important. So I'm just going to ask you to read it with me. If you want to turn to it, it's Romans chapter 1, or if you want to read it up on the screen, you can. I'm turning to it myself. I'm going to start in verse 18 and read through the end of the first chapter. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, and it's understood through what has been made. Uh, as a result, the people are without excuse. Let me pause before I keep reading. This is just saying that God is pouring out his wrath because we have not paid attention to the things in creation that were supposed to show us who he is. He says, I have revealed myself to them, to creation, through them, through creation. Right? And so this is, I believe, part gender. Part of the way the image of God is revealed to us is through us because we're created male and female. Let me keep reading so we can know what happens when we ignore those signs, when we ignore our genders. Uh, verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served something created instead of the Creator, who was praised forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions, for even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received their own, in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Let me bring out three points from this passage. This deserves its own sermon, I know, but let me just bring out three points from it. The first is what I've already tried to bring out is that God displayed himself to us through his creation. If you go, if you go a couple more, maybe one more slide. I have these points up there on the board. There. Yeah, these three points I want to show you. That one is God revealed himself to us. We brought that out. But that when we ignored that, that God judged us for it, right? So when God gives us our genders and we ignored the right use of those genders, it brought God's judgment. The second point I want to bring out is what exactly was God's judgment? God's judgment, according to this passage, is that he gave us over to the very things we were craving. Your, uh, it says we were giving over to the cravings of our heart towards sexual impurity and to the degrading of our body. We were given over to our degrading passions. And then finally, we were given over to a worthless mind. In other words, the more you long for things that were apart from what I ordained to show you who I am, the more you got them and were unable to use them rightly. The more you wanted, your, you wanted bad things, the more increasingly you could only want bad things. The more you thought wrongly, the more increasingly worthless your mind became. Right? I kind of get this mental image of, uh, well, I, I see Johnny Milton over there. We were, remember we were, in, we were burning, and there was the Kubota, and we got in the mud, and those back wheels started spinning, in this mud, and as it starts spinning, that Kubota just sunk. It just went down deeper, and to a point where he had to bring in the tractor to pull it out, because as that spun in the mud, it didn't get any better. It just got deeper and deeper and deeper in the mud, and I think this is the same image that's going on. He says, as you want these things that are totally inappropriate, I'm giving them to you, and it's making you only want them more. As you think these thoughts that are so far away from the way you were designed, I'm letting you think this way, and it's making your mind incapable of even comprehending what your gender was meant to do. The judgment that we're getting is an inability to recognize God and who he is. When you destroy gender, you destroy the, one of the pictures that God has given to us to know God himself. That's why this is a huge deal. Politically speaking, we could, as Christians, go back to Nero's time and still know God and worship God. We can still live in dangerous worlds where our social protections are chiseled away from us. Spiritually speaking, when we lose the image of God, we're losing the knowledge of God himself. This is, in my opinion, but I think clearly in the Bible's teaching, the most dangerous part of this gender-neutral bathroom issue that we're facing right now. We're asking, our culture is asking of us to ignore part of what God has given us to teach us who he is. I imagine that if God had given us a picture Right? A, a big picture says, this is me, this is who I am, is asking us to tear off chunks of this picture. And the more and more those chunks are tore, the harder and harder it is for the church to show people, this is God, do you see in this ripped, torn, distorted picture? And so it's important for us as Christians to preserve gender, to preserve the distinctions between men and women, to understand that God created two complementary genders 
Not just because we needed them, but because we needed them to know him. Um, let's move to the next slide. This next slide, I, um, I, re- I reviewed my first two points here. Our gender is designed by God to reflect him. Misuse and misunderstanding of our gender prevents us from knowing him. Spiritually speaking, I wanted to talk about the solution to this problem. If you're already in Romans chapter 1, you can just flip over to Romans chapter 12, or you can, again, it's up on the, board, the screen and you can look there. Romans chapter 1, verses 12, I'm, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is. In other words, when our bodies seem wrong, we give those freely to God as our sacrifice. My body is your body to do with what you want. The way I make myself right with God is not by changing my body. It's by renewing my mind, right? I give my body, my body's God's body. My mind has to be renewed. That is how I learn who God is, what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. So as Christians, we are not okay with the idea of a sex change, of a gender reassignment surgery, because we believe that's going about the problem in the complete wrong way. Your problem is not primarily a biological problem. Your problem is primarily that your mind is distorted. And so we want to charge people, have your mind renewed. Let me move to the last part of this presentation, and that is, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? And there is a lot of things. Ken and I talked about it a lot. There's several things that I think we can talk about that are my opinions. And what I've tried to do is weed some of those out. And I wanted to give you two big things that I can say very objectively. These are the right places to start. Uh, and the first one is that we need to make sure that we are battling ideas and not people. Here's just a couple of passages. Ephesians 6, 1 and 12, uh, 6 verses 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? We're not, we're not battling people here. This second one in 2 Corinthians, says, though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. And then what are we demolishing? We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to Christ. Uh, What I believe that we need to do, objectively speaking, from the Word of God, is that we need to battle ideas and not people. We need to battle specifically the idea that gender doesn't matter. That gender is a social construct as opposed to a God-given construct to teach us about Him. What this means, though, is that we need to be careful that we are not treating people who have gender identity confusion as people who are not created in the image of God, right? So it is entirely wrong in every way for us to treat them as somebody who God does not love, who God does not care about. Someone who is transgender, and a specific name, Caitlyn Jenner should walk into Rayford Road and know that though they disagree, I will never find a group of people who love me more because they believe that God fearfully and wonderfully made me. Right? So we need to be careful that our battle is not against Bruce Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner. Our battle is against the idea that he wasn't fearfully and wonderfully made. That God didn't give him a gender to show him who God is. That he doesn't need to know God and respond rightly to God. Some of the ways I think we need to battle this idea is one is we need to guard our own ways of talking and thinking about gender. Right? So part of this problem in all honesty, I think, is of our own doing. I joked, or talked earlier about how we joke about gender, that real men drive Chevys, not Fords, or real men hunt and don't bake. You know, real men are 
whatever and not this. But the truth is the Bible gives a very diverse display of what masculinity is. And God himself is very diverse. In his ma- God is the artist who put the stars in the sky. Right? If you think art is feminine, not masculine, or masculine, not feminine, you've misunderstood God himself. Right? You should be able to have a masculine figure who is both a warrior like David and a harp player like David. Right? If our views of masculinity and femininity are no different than our cultures, then we are in part at least to blame for our disruption of this whole gender confusion idea. We have to understand gender in a way that can make sense of not only the God of the Bible, but the people who image God in the Bible. I joked with our um, youth group on Wednesday night that when I was at... uh, home for a while. My mom was into knitting, and she taught me how to knit. Like everybody who ever finds out that I learned to knit, it's like, that's girly. You shouldn't admit it. But I shouldn't hide it, right? There, I don't believe that there's anything, uh, biblically speaking, that God would say, I don't make clothes, or I don't make things. Because, in fact, God's the first to make clothes. Now, Will Granite, he killed animals to clothe Adam and Eve. He didn't knit them. But he did knit me together in my mother's womb. So knitting's on the table. My point is we need to be careful how we talk about gender. We need to be careful to say, not use phrase like real man in a way that would make somebody who doesn't fit our stereotypes think, maybe I'm not a real man. Maybe if I like cooking more than I like hunting, maybe I'm not a real man. That is inappropriate thinking. And we need to be careful not to perpetuate those kind of myths and wrong thinking. Let me tell you another thing I think is a second major application point, and that is that we need to pray. We need to pray hard. Pray for our leaders. Here's 1 Timothy uh, 2, 1 and 2. First of all, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Uh, Our goal is not to... uh, overthrow our government, but to pray for them. We pray at the highest levels, asking that uh, specifically that President Obama will recognize the harmful uh, results that would happen if we had boys showering with girls in our high schools and middle schools, and he would back off of this letter. I think also we pray on our lower levels of government. Specifically, I think we need to pray for Sherry Rollerson, who's our school superintendent. She needs to have a lot of wisdom over how she needs to handle this issue. If she refuses to allow boys in girls' locker rooms and girls in boys' bathrooms, if she refuses that, then she will be likely attacked by our federal government. And Baker County doesn't have the resources to fight the federal government. And so it puts her in a very, very hard position. We should be careful not to take that lightly and think, if I was Sherry, I would just stand up. Uh, I hope, I, honestly, I hope that she will have the boldness to do what she needs to do. But we need to recognize she needs our prayer. She needs a lot of wisdom because she's fighting an enemy that seems very, very big. And so I pray that we will... As a church, pray for our leaders in this issue. And I also pray that we will pray for the people we know, transgender people, people who have, uh, they're just confused about their sexuality. They're confused about uh, expanding this over whether they're homosexual, heterosexual, transgender, uh, this whole gender nonconformity, this whole big issue is all related to each other. And that What has happened is that the devil has disguised a part of the picture of God that God has given to every one of us and that has left people not knowing God the way he has designed them to. And we need to pray that God will, kind of like the the big tractor that pulled out the little Kubota, he will just drag them out of the mud and show himself to them. Say, in spite of the fact that you have persisted in ways that have clouded your mind and made your thoughts worthless, God can still show himself to people that we love and pray for. So I think that needs to be a second 
application. There's tons of other things we could think through, whether uh, how, do you, how are you going to specifically address people in your families. I, I think, as Ken and I talked, and she was wise to me, she said a lot of those things are going to be based on the specific people you're talking to. And you need to be careful. She warned me to be careful not to say that one size fits all. Every, you have to really pray that God will give you wisdom in the situation. The same thing with how you're going to shop in stores, whether you need to target uh, a boycott target or not boycott. Th- these type of issues, um, I don't believe that I can tell you with objective certainty, but I do believe I can tell you that you need to pray diligently over each situation and each person to say, how can I glorify you, God, by the way I interact with this transgender issue? So with that, I am, I'm done with my presentation. I do hope it was helpful for you. I'd like to pray, and then I'll let Pastor Johnny come and, and close our service for us. Dear Lord,